Welcome to the Leaders Team podcast, made for school leaders by school leaders. Hi, Jill. It's great to have you on the show today. Um, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Thanks, Daisy. I'm really pleased to be here. Um, so I was ahead for 10 years at the end of a 30 year teaching career. And I stepped back from headship after 10 years. And since then, I've been doing lots of interesting things. So I did my doctorate, which was looking at the transition from deputy headship to headship. I wrote a book about it. And I do a lot of leadership development work. So I, I read about leadership in education. I write, I speak. That's that's my real passion. That's fantastic. And like I said, um, I know that our listeners today who are considering making that leap into leadership We'll hopefully get some advice and guidance and I am sure that by the end of this they will be feeling confident about making that leap into leadership because as I'm sure you know we need more people in leadership but we also need them to have the right advice um, before they're making that jump into leadership. Absolutely. So what would you say Jill are the common challenges educators face when making that leap into leadership and how can they overcome them? I think challenges is an interesting word. There are challenges, but you can also look at every challenge as an opportunity. There are so many opportunities too. I loved being a leader at all levels. And without misleading people about the demands of leadership, I want them to see that there's a lot of joy and satisfaction and reward, whether it's as a middle leader, a senior leader, a head or beyond headship. So thinking about the opportunities that leadership brings, I would say every teacher is a leader because throughout their careers, they've been working to get the best from the pupils that they teach. And leadership is about getting the best from your colleagues and through your colleagues, reaching more children. So most leaders will probably carry on teaching. So you're still working with pupils, but you're also working with and through the staff. So you need to develop skills to do that successfully. And it's about effective communication, it's about building the most positive relationships, it's about supporting and challenging constructively, getting that balance right, um, listening incredibly well, especially when it's something that's quite difficult to hear, and developing the capacity to, to get the best from everyone. And in the process, you will be the best leader you can be so that's a win-win and as you say Daisy schools and colleges we need strong leaders and investing in leadership has to be good for education as a whole absolutely and I I totally resonate with you when you talk about that joy and satisfaction and reward and this idea that although leaders for example head teachers aren't directly teaching children anymore they are still having that wider impact on all of the children in the school um, by supporting their team um, and that there's lots of takeaways from that I know it's something that having been a leader was fantastic to walk around the school and see the impact of the uh, school improvement plan or the recent CPD you'd done and see it within the children's learning but also within the teachers who were feeling more confident or enjoying what they were doing um, absolutely and and it's about the people you appoint and it's about how you induct them into the school how you develop them how you help them often fit themselves for new challenges in the future yeah. um, so as a head you have an opportunity to do that and I did actually teach as a head Daisy I taught throughout my 10 years of headship yeah. because I chose to do that yeah. and I, I'm not dictating whether head should but I did write yeah. a blog about 
the kind of advantages and and, and yeah. the challenges of, of teaching heads. And I had a lot to do with the students. I went to lots of extracurricular activities. I'd go on school trips. Um, I did some individual mentoring. So you don't have to be at a distance from the learners, but you do have to focus on all you can do to help the staff do the best possible job they can. That That is your number one priority. Yeah, and I really like that. And I, um, I couldn't agree more that that time with the children in many forms in the classroom, extracurricular, doing playground duty, all those types of things um, actually really feed into that joy and I think have a real place in the well-being of leaders because I remember when I was a leader and I was first having to balance leading and teaching and it felt that that time I was teaching all I was thinking about was all of those jobs I needed to do as a leader when actually um, what I needed to do was be in the now be confident that the the of the capacity of the team and how the school was running but actually spend that time enjoying um teaching the children again um i used to love team teaching with um staff that you know needed that support and development and you know like you said i think it brings that joy and satisfaction but it does take organization good time management and focus skills to fit that in um with everything um so in schools where or you know for leaders currently leaders or people thinking about making that jump from deputy to headship and looking for further support from their school what can schools do to support that transition from at all levels of leadership so it might be from being you know going into a subject lead going into an assistant head role deputy to headship what can schools be doing to support the development and that transition into those roles I think professional learning um, is absolutely key and one of the things we know from education research is that developing, investing in your staff, building their confidence and capacity is one of the most powerful things you can do in terms of pupil outcomes. It, it has the greatest benefit. So I think constantly being aware of the potential of the people that you lead and where they have the potential perhaps to be leaders themselves. It's not all about leadership. Professional development is really important for everyone, not just those who are going to go for promotion and who want to climb the leadership ladder, but it is about tuning into what people need, what support they need, what constructive challenge they're ready for. So I think schools need to be mindful that the people within them, and it's support staff as well as teaching staff, of course, need to be given time and targeted support and professional development and learning opportunities so that they continue to grow and remain energized and enthusiastic. Some of the staff in your team may be content to do the job that they're doing now in that particular school for the rest of their careers. And that's fine, but they will still need to be satisfied and feel a sense of reward and value and purpose. So everybody in your school actually requires time and attention and thought about what they need from you. And I would say to leaders at all levels, you need to be asking, I think, a little more frequently than we normally do. What do you need from me? If you're going to be your professional best, what do you need from me as your leader? And then we have to listen and give very careful thought to the answers. And it's not about 
giving everybody exactly what they want. That's not workable. But it is about making sure that the decisions that you make as a leader at any level are very carefully considered mm-hmm. and that you explain and you justify yeah. to the people that you're leading the, the, which path you're taking and why. And that everything is underpinned by very clear vision and values. And that's your vision as, as an individual and as a leader, as a team, as a school, as a trust, whatever it is. And yeah. all working together towards a common purpose that everyone feels invested in. This, I think, is the way to help people make leadership transitions at the time that's right for them, in the context that's right for them. And if, as I say, they decide they don't want to move away from classroom teaching, you respect that, but you make sure that they are continually invested in, supported, challenged, so that they find their job as fulfilling as they possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know it it is true there are different types of leaders and and people who enjoy different aspects of teaching and and like we both recognize we both really enjoyed being in the classroom still and there were many times I could think actually I just want to be with those children many times but I I did enjoy the leadership to the point where I'd always feel myself you know I couldn't just go into a school and be a teacher again because I'd I'd feel myself like oh what if we worked on that (laughs) and what if we did that and I, I'm really interested in the, the CPD and, and I completely agree about how important that is. Something I'm really aware of at the moment is um, school budgets and the constraints in particular um, when it comes to support staff. So I know this is something that's always been a challenge is effective CPD for support staff, not necessarily in, in what we do, when we do it, because school support staff are paid to be in school at the time the children are in school and you know we're quite often in a place where to support the learning needs of the children um it can cause anxiety to teachers to to have their their ta taken away it can impact on the lesson they planned because they plan to um use that ta to structure and challenge a group or to provide um some extra support um and and i just i guess i'm wondering if you've seen or you know have any examples of really effective ways of supporting all levels of leadership um, sorry all levels of of staff of it within your school but in particular support staff interestingly i've done um, some work recently um in sixth form colleges working with staff on on leadership and again it, it's relevant to, to to everybody really whether you are teaching or support whether you actually have a formal leadership role or whether you're just trying to work in a particular area to give the students the, the best possible provision and i've worked with teaching staff and support staff together and i think that's been really useful because they have more in common than they sometimes realize. And in the the best institutions, there is a strong, mutually respectful relationship between support colleagues and teaching colleagues. And I've worked in schools where that's been the case, and I've worked in schools where it hasn't, where each group thinks the other group has an easier time of it. So I think, and you talked about teachers working with TAs, ideally we need to work really well together. We need to communicate well, we need to build relationships. And professional development and learning is a way of doing it. I think, I know we are worried about budgets. I know everyone is thinking about their their expenditure and what they're getting in return. There is such a lot of, of 
fairly low cost or free CPD available now through social media and spin-off events, but also school and college-based CPD, mm. where people are given the opportunity to share their expertise, to learn from each other, to use that network. And it should be, again, teaching and support staff yeah. in a network, working together, learning from each other. And I think there needs to be an openness about that. So a lot of workplace-based professional development and learning and there is reading and there's listening to podcasts and watching webinars that there are so many ways in which we can develop ourselves we have to move away from thinking that CPD means going on a course and it doesn't even mean getting an expert in to give you new knowledge Um, although I think a balance of external expertise and internal expertise is useful really generating any opportunity to learn from each other looking at your whole institution and using something called appreciative inquiry which I read about when I was doing my doctorate which means if we want to improve things often we will get further by looking at what's working and Mm. thinking about how we can do more of it why is it working what's the learning there how can we apply that learning perhaps in slightly different contexts we can fixate on what's broken and how can we fix it But looking across the whole institution, teaching and support, where are the bright spots? What are we proud of? Where are we making progress? How can we build on that? How can we learn from that and do even better in other areas? COVID was interesting for that because there were some things that worked very well. We needed to learn from that and replicate those successes. So making sure that we take every opportunity to learn and develop it doesn't always have to cost a lot of money but we need to be aware absolutely and and it is being creative i've um recently worked in in primary schools that aren't part of the trust but have a wide um network in other ways that they got connections with other schools so for example our senkos had a local senko forum we had a local heads association um uh, forum as well and not being afraid to make those connections and say hey could I could I send my teacher over to to Mm -hmm. come and watch your year six teacher do this and and do you want to send someone back over this way and you know being okay with recognizing those strengths in other schools but also where you might want some support and and up what you it's interesting you mentioned podcasts because I remember sending a podcast out as CPD one week for the team and it it was a practicality in that we um we couldn't have a staff meeting but also an opportunity to to demonstrate the cpd can be very different and the, the feedback from it was brilliant and it was kind of like this didn't feel like cpd mm-hmm. this didn't feel like a staff meeting and, and that's almost what you want you want people to be excited about it um and and we really hope as well that this podcast series and our, our leaders team podcast can inform some of that because you know, listening to your insights today, Jill, uh, will hopefully provide leaders, teachers, support staff, everyone listening um, with ideas of focusing on what's working well in their school and mm-hmm. their own practice. So, Jill, what strategies can school leaders employ to build trust and collaboration among their team members when transitioning to a leadership role? So I'm thinking in particular, um, new heads moving to a new school, or becoming a deputy head and moving to a new school, um, or it could be within a larger school, moving to a new part of the team. Um, but what can they do to ease that? 
I think trust and collaboration are really important whether you're internally promoted or externally promoted, again, whether it's teaching or support staff, whether we're talking about middle leaders, senior leaders, heads and principals. I think trust is, is key. And with respect to building trust, a new leader has to start by offering it. If you take the view that you can only trust people when they've earned your trust, they have to prove that they're trustworthy, that's likely not to end well. If you withhold trust until you have evidence that people are worthy of it, they're less likely to trust you. So there has to be a bit of a leap of faith, really. Try and see the best in people. Mm. Um, obviously, you need to be open and honest and approachable. I talked about listening earlier on. I think as a new leader, my advice would always be you need to be asking a lot more questions than you're making statements in the early weeks and months in the transition and before you formally step into the role too. That lead-in period between being appointed and starting a role is, is a crucial time. It can be quite a tricky time, but it's a crucial time to start to establish yourself and to, to continue learning. So if you ask questions and then listen carefully to the answers, it will take you further than if you're constantly just making statements about what you think, what you want to do, what your intentions are. And sometimes you will be pushed to make those statements. I remember as a new head meeting people who were saying, what will your priorities be? What will you do in the first so many days? You know, what is your vision for the school? And I think sometimes you need to back those back and say, well, my priority, first of all, is getting to know people, um, getting to be known, taking the temperature of the team and the place, making sure that I, I know what, what is precious and what is successful. It's like buying a new house and having a garden you don't start pulling things up until you see what grows and that doesn't mean you're slow it just means you are thoughtful and intentional about it in terms of collaboration um i always remember dylan william he, he said he was quoting robert slavin but i actually heard dylan william say it he talked about the importance of working as a team and not just in a team so you have a team of people who work in a team, but actually, if you work as a team, it's much more about the dynamic between you. It's about complementary skills and strengths and temperaments. It's about appointing people who are sometimes different from you and who have skills and strengths that you don't have and having the confidence to say to someone, you're really good at this. I can learn from you, even though you may be the leader. Being confident enough to sometimes show that you don't think you're the person with all the ideas and, and the ability to solve every problem and that kind of collaboration makes teams and schools and trusts so much stronger so mm. I think a degree of humility can make you a better leader not a weaker one and if you never want to admit to any feelings of self-doubt I feel you're either deluding yourself or you're trying to delude others because actually we all have self-doubt and we all get things wrong sometimes I've just read a brilliant book, Daisy, called Right Kind of Wrong oh. by Amy Edmondson. Amy Edmondson is a Harvard professor. Um, she's very well respected. She was the one who coined the phrase psychological safety and talked about how teams need psychological safety. Her new book is called Right Kind of Wrong, and it's about different kinds of mistakes. It's about learning from failure. It's a fantastic book. And I had the privilege last week of interviewing her for Myatt & Co, which is online short films for educators. Mm. And it was a, a wonderful opportunity. She's so wise and warm and she was brilliant. And the book is brilliant. But it's all about recognising that there are different sorts of mistakes and we have to recognise, is this a basic mistake? Is it a complex mistake? Is it an intelligent mistake? 
And sometimes we have to be able to unpick it in order to learn from it rather than just trying to gloss over it or say, oh, yeah, I'll do better next time. Yeah. It's not as simple as that. It's much more nuanced. So building trust and collaboration is all about sometimes accepting fallibility, your own and others, yeah. but moving forward. Yeah. Steve Mumby says um, in his writing, you know, we're all imperfect, but just try and do a little better tomorrow. Try and learn from mm. experience, reflect. Don't make the same mistakes over and over again, because if you do, that really damages trust. Absolutely. That's really interesting. I will definitely be reading um, the right kind of wrong. And, and it's so interesting because a lot of this is what we you know, we use that phrase, you know, like learn from our mistakes all the time with children. But but it's so right. What what does that actually look like? Mm -hmm. How you know, if we don't know as adults what it looks like, how are we supposed to support children to understand that? And and they're really beh important behaviours for learning, but just behaviours for life. Yes. Um, yeah. Because, you know, that they, they factor into everything. And I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, something I'm, I've always been really interested in is this idea that we, it's acceptable or it's the norm or it's just something that happens that uh, people leave the school when a new head starts this whole saying of oh you'll always have people move on when a new head starts and and I find that interesting because yes it, it's a change and, and and a transition and people may re in that reevaluate what they want in their career or their life but really a new head should come on board the team and like you said work with the team as part of the team rather than actually pushing members of the team out that don't align with their vision and values and and, and, you know, it's much more complex than that. I, I, I fully appreciate that. But it is that idea. I think many things you've touched on there that, you know, a new leader must start off by offering it. Well, a leader can quite often, a new head teacher, read the school's offset report or read locally about the school or make assumptions from their time learning about the school. But I really believe it's not until you're in there. It's not until mm. you're listening you're getting to know people and you know one that I I absolutely love the idea that you know you wouldn't pull a garden out until you see what grows and so often that is a mistake and lots of leaders will say you know I'm just listening at the moment I'm just seeing how things work but in actual fact what does that look like because quite often by the end of that first half term or term they're presenting to governors their plan and actually you know that wider understanding of 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 what that looks like getting to know that school or getting to know the context and 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 the role that everyone can play in that so i you know i find that really useful and i'm you know really looking forward to reading that right kind of wrong because again in itself it's um it's that professional development and but it's that personal professional development it's developing the ability to be self-critical without letting it damage your confidence or your ability um to develop yourself and yeah so I you know I would love to see that people aren't moving on when a new head comes in mm -hmm. people might be for other reasons but actually people are embracing change and not being scared of it because they know that that trust is going to be there and, and I think that only comes with again more examples of it more practice more awareness more reading about it um and so I think uh, you know I will definitely be reading the right kind of wrong and um, getting, getting back with a book review to our listeners so that they can um, get
get out and read the book as well. So we've got people at the moment who might be thinking in, you know, they've had their first autumn term in, uh, well, almost had their first autumn term in, in this academic year. And they may be thinking, looking towards spring, uh, when there'll be lots of roles and people, you know, securing roles and moving on. And it's always a big period of recruitment in the new year. What advice would you give to those who are about to make the lead in, leap into leadership? Um, it may just be that they're about to make the leap to make an application um, or to go on an interview or they could have a role secured uh, for January or for the future. So what advice would you give to those based on your own experiences and like we said about making mistakes, your lessons that you've learned along the way? I think first of all, we have to accept that we will continue to learn and develop in a new role. But there are a number of ways in which we can prepare to step into a new role, but we certainly won't be the finished article at the beginning of our tenure, and we might never actually be the finished article. I was ahead for 10 years. I think I was still learning how to be ahead at the end of 10 years. And I think I was better. I think I was more confident. I think I was more resilient. But I'm very keen on a phrase that Robert Quinn used back in 2004. Again, it came from my doctoral reading. He said that new leaders have to build the bridge as they walk on it. And I think it's useful for us all to remember that, particularly when we're thinking about applying for a job. I do know people who don't apply because they think, well, I'm not sure I can do this, that and the other yet. And I've never done that. And I feel a bit unconfident about that. And, and I have to say, I know it's a sexist generalisation, but a lot of the women that I've known mm. are a lot tougher on themselves there than some of the men. But we all build a bridge as we walk on it. And I think we have to recognise that if we feel we have the, the potential, we have transferable skills, we have learning capacity, we have commitment and determination, we will continue to learn and we will continue to build our skills. So don't beat yourself up if you think, you know, I'm not there yet. We're maybe never there. I'm still learning about leadership and education. It's 45 years since I first stepped into a classroom, Daisy, and it's 40 mm. years since I had my first leadership role. So, again, a degree of humility and recognising that you're not the Messiah. You're not sweeping in to save everyone. Mm. You're not the fount of all knowledge. And you don't want people just to look to you for instructions and answers and solutions to their problems. Because if you do that, you build a, a culture of dependency where people can't do it for themselves and they need to do it for themselves. Your job as a leader is not to find solutions to everything, it's to help people find yeah. their own solutions often by offering support and challenge. So just to think about these things as you step into a leadership role or you prepare for the next leadership role. I think you need... I've talked about communication, I've talked about relationships. I think you also need sound judgment as a leader and that judgment needs to be underpinned by knowledge. And that's knowledge of three things. It's knowledge of your domain. So the area in which you're leading, maybe it's a subject or whatever it might be. It's knowledge of your context. You've, you've mentioned context. Mm -hmm. So knowing the place you're in, the nature of the team, the history, what it needs yeah. going forward. And it's also crucially knowledge of your people. And mm. if you're externally appointed, it takes a little time to tune yeah. in to get to know those people really well as individuals. That should be an absolute priority. When I went into my job as a head, I was externally appointed. It was a school of 950. I, I didn't really know many people. 
and I decided to teach all the year sevens. It was a, a seven to 18 school. It was an all age school so that I could get to know the, the pupils as well. And that was really important to me. I said, if we if we try to say that the individual matters, both staff and students, knowing their name is a really important first start, knowing something about them and what matters to them. So investing in building that knowledge is really important, but don't give yourself a hard time. You need to be patient. It does take time and you will get things wrong. And people don't expect their leaders to be perfect and infallible. They expect them to be honest. So if you do get something wrong, you admit it, you apologise if that's appropriate, you learn from it and you try to do better so that you don't make the same mistakes over and over again. But the, the main thing I'd want to say to anybody going into a leadership role is it is, it's fascinating, it's stimulating, it's rewarding, it's fulfilling not just in spite of the challenges, sometimes because of the challenges. If you meet a challenge, if you step up, up to it and you move forward, that is hugely energising. And you need to find the joy. There is joy in leadership. Mm. So you need to be, be aware. And you also need to model it, Daisy. People are looking at you as this leader. If all they see is the stress and the pressure, if you're constantly frowning or you're grumpy or you're negative, what are you saying to future generations of potential leaders about leadership? You're letting them down. You're letting schools yeah. down. So make sure that people see that there are satisfactions and rewards and that you are mindful of them and you're making the most of them. So you want people to say, one day, one day, I think I'd like to be head of department or yeah. head in a primary school or whatever it is. And you will have learned from positive role leaders sorry role models who are leaders yeah. along the way and you will also have learned something about the mistakes to avoid from from less positive role models yeah. but go for it and have faith in yourself yeah. and build the bridge as you walk on it it's worth it it is so worth it daisy yeah I, I couldn't agree more i think it's so true more than ever that you know even just the news is infiltrated with this um with this you know image of, of of stressed tired worked overworked leaders and, and 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 i'm not you know questioning the pressures on leaders at all at the moment and you know the considerations for reform in different areas of education but there are moments of joy and i think you know for me the moment of joy was the celebration assembly on a friday i loved that moment i loved being able to celebrate with the children and and just just the joy that it was and another thing I loved was breakfast club I would always go and sit down and, and chat to the children in breakfast club and I always felt really lucky to be able to do that because it was even though it was in within school it was it was seeing the children in a, in a really different light as if you were having breakfast with them at home because many of these children were in this wraparound care every day um you know increasing work patterns for for parents and 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 it was absolutely those bits. There there is real joy, like you said. And sometimes it's take making the effort to seek them out because you can really get bogged down in your school improvement plan and your data and all of your staff are filled with clue or something. But you know, seeking out those those opportunities um, to do that. And I think another thing that really resonates with me is what you were saying about solutions and. Um, I mentioned at the beginning about when you're in, as a leader might go into class to teach 
and or you might go off site to visit another leader to learn from them and it's that idea that the school should still run the school should still be affected people affected people should, should still feel secure that it's going to be okay because you've built that capacity and you've developed people to find solutions in a similar way that you would it's not that you're the only one that's able to do them and i think that's sometimes very difficult for leaders especially if they haven't got that trust with their staff because if you feel that no one else can do it better than you then you're not developing your staff in the right way absolutely um, and it's arrogant daisy isn't it yeah. to think that it has to be you yeah. um I, I was speaking to a head the other day and she said something that i thought was really really powerful she said as a head you need to consider only do what only you can do yeah and and you have to think about how do i add value doing this as a head yeah. so like for me teaching the students not that i was the best teacher because i wasn't but but mm -hmm. Only, there was something powerful about the head teaching and getting to know them and building those relationships. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time with parents who were looking at the school yeah. because it was the, the, the beginning of building that relationship with them, which yeah. in many cases would go on for a long time if they had several yeah. children who came through the school. So thinking about how you add value and thinking about how you inspire and lift your staff. So as you say, when you're not there or when you move on, they go from strength to strength rather than collapsing because actually you've just been an umbrella for them. You know, you've just tried to shield them and protect them and, and, and overly direct them. But I do want to say something about finding balance as well, because it is possible to get a healthy, sustainable, manageable balance between your personal life and your professional responsibilities. It is possible and people do it. And I would say seek them out and learn from them. Everybody does it in a different way. But if you ever feel that it is not possible to do this job and have a life, there's something wrong with the job. There's, it's not that there's something wrong with you. Mm. So you need to be talking honestly and, and openly and calmly, if possible, with those who lead you, whether it's governors, whether it's trustees, whether it's the head teacher, depending on on where you're leading, in what, what level you're leading, but you have to find a balance that works for you because your job is part of who you are. It isn't all you are. And teaching and leading is an important job, but it is a job, Daisy. It's yeah. not the sum total of your of life. Yeah. And one day when you stop doing that job, as I did 13 years ago, there has to be a fully functioning human being yeah. there when you take the head teacher the leader out yeah so I think people who work too hard who drive themselves too hard it's not it's not the answer to a successful school or a successful team and it's certainly not the answer to a, a balanced Absolutely. Happy, successful it's, life it's, so, it's not modeling that to your staff either yes and, it is yeah and I would always you know in my, the way I would always reason it in my mind was actually I, I could I could go home and I could work all night but I'm going to be even more tired tomorrow and probably get even more behind. Mm. Or I could actually take some time out, take some yeah. time enjoying myself, take some time for my own self-care, some time with my family, and I'll give it my best go again tomorrow. Yeah. As long and you'll, as do, it, you'll do it better. Yeah. Yeah. You have to know yourself well enough. Yeah. I could carry on now, but I'm tired. I'm not going to do it well. I want to do yeah. it well. I need to stop and rest and refresh and then go back to it again. Weekends are important, holidays are important, but you shouldn't drive yourself through term time so you're in a state of collapse by the time you reach a holiday and then you rest yeah. and refresh and it starts all over again when term starts. Rest actually does need to be 
relatively frequent yeah. so that you pace yourself and also you I mean I was in teaching for 30 years and I had a fantastic career you can't keep up the pace for 30 years unless you work to get this balance yeah. a sustainable healthy balance and as you say model it to other people so that the generations of leaders coming behind you see oh, that it can be done and embrace flexibility i'm a yes. huge fan of flexible working for leaders and teachers i think leaders need to be very open-minded and receptive about it and yes. to have a how can we mentality not a why we can't mentality yeah. not a this yeah. won't work mentality it will work um, read flex education by lucy rose and lindsay yeah. patience it's full of case studies of how flexible working can work it can be good for the school good for the children as well as good for the staff it can save schools money it, it's yeah. there are so many benefits as long as leaders don't think it's too expensive people will take advantage it's not workable you can't timetable it so it's one way of trying to get the balance right mm. and it's back to that trust isn't it that assumption that flexible working means people will take advantage but actually having that mutually respectful working environment that works for your staff um, actually leads to a better level of trust and collaboration. And I think it's really important, um, you know, whilst having uh, setting those strict boundaries as a leader and modelling that it's putting structures, strategies, culture in place to make sure that those people in your team, those staff members who find it a lot harder to say no and to stop, and to prioritize and set boundaries it's it's putting things in place to supportively stop them from doing that isn't the right word but you have to support people to say no there are always you know i've worked with team members teachers support staff who who find that really really difficult mm -hmm. because they actually find that their worries and anxieties and are, are calmed through working but it's not sustainable and no, no, no. Uh, it can be filling a, a vacuum which again mm. isn't isn't terribly healthy when people find it difficult to say no and i know it can be difficult i always suggest try saying not yet or just not now and um, if i do this i will want to do it well at the moment i i don't think i have the capacity or if you really want me to do that which of my current jobs can i stop doing or delegate yeah. or rest or whatever so it it, it is about making sure that you have reasonable expectations of yourself that you have a good honest open relationship with the people who lead you that you are assertive sometimes assertiveness is great not being passive so people walk all over you not being aggressive so that you put people's backs up but just being assertive knowing what's reasonable it, yeah. it's really really powerful i think i really like that not yet not now because it's yeah it's easier but it's not no <laughs> it has so many of those connotations around it and it's it's not saying that you're not capable and you're not willing it's saying that actually i'm mindful of my boundaries i'm mindful of my workload mm. um and we do want to promote and develop staff to be able to take not responsibility as such but take an active role in their well-being in schools mm. it is very difficult if not impossible for again a, a head teacher to be the only one charging that forwards because again when that head teacher's not there that will fall apart and i think you know the 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 biggest thing i would probably take away from this today that i really think will empower people is that it's not 
it's the role it's not you it's the job it's not you because we have a massive teacher recruitment crisis at the minute we have a massive support staff recruitment crisis we have a massive leadership recruitment crisis and i'm a big big advocate of the school might not right be right for you and that's not that there's anything wrong with school you might be commuting too far you might need a different approach you might need a different context you might need a different age phase mm -hmm. um and i think as teachers as leaders as educators we're incredibly hard on ourselves mm -hmm. and we take a huge weight when we don't feel we're doing the best by the children um and actually taking that time to step back and consider other than you what is not working with this mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it's the leadership, Daisy. Yeah. I, I do talk to disaffected teachers yeah. and I will always say, try a change of school before yeah. you try a change of profession, because sometimes yeah. it's not you. It's not that it's yeah. teaching that doesn't suit you. You're not being well led or the context isn't right. And sometimes you say change of phase, change yeah. of sector, change of country. I know a lot of people yeah. who've worked overseas for a while and, and rediscovered yeah. their mojo. So yeah. don't assume if you're unhappy that it is yeah. teaching it yeah. may just be where you're teaching and who's leading you that's yeah. what needs to change and i think that's particularly important for early career teachers because of the early career teachers who are leaving schools within five years quite often that's been in the same school and it's a very limited experience um to draw that on but so the, you know so so many takeaways from that my reading list is is fully packed now <laughs> um, and I'm, you know, feeling incredibly empowered to in my own approach. And, and I'm, I'm certain that other people who have been listening today will be feeling that. And like you said, I think, you know, we're coming up to the end of term. We're coming up to the time when, you know, there's more jobs being advertised from ever uh, than ever. And I, I really hope and I'm certain people will be going away from this that with that idea that they're going to build the bridge they're going to they're going to take that jump but they're going to build the bridge while they're on it good good luck with the bridge building <laughs> yes <laughs> thank you so much jill it's been fantastic having you on today and I'm, you, i have absolutely no doubts that um we will have you back on our podcast again very soon probably when i finish reading the right kind of wrong and want to and pick it even further with you brilliant thank, thank you, you so much thanks jill bye Thanks for listening to the Leaders Podcast. Join us again for more SLT and subject leadership conversations and follow Twinkle SLT and Twinkle Subject Leads on our socials.